We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome to the second episode of Overtalk with myself, Iway, and my lovely co-host, Aramori. It's good to see you again. Um, Hello. It's been an interesting week in Overwatch, um, and you know, just in general, we we have the UFOs and the Super Bowl, and just it's been crazy. All right, um, <laughs> so let's start with the let's start with just life stuff, and then we'll get into Overwatch stuff in just a second. Um, how, how have you been doing? I've been doing good. Um, this week, I, I I was telling you a bit earlier, I got a new mouse, which I'm excited about. I got the the Razer V2 Pro or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so every time like like they name a mouse, do you think they just like throw a dartboard at like a bunch of numbers and they're like, okay, we're gonna call this one the G903? Like, how? What is with the numbers? I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know. I know that Razer definitely just likes to mishmash like a bunch of vowels <laughs> together. Like, let's call it the Naga, or let's call it the Hex Wraith. It's like, they're just throwing words together at random. Yeah. They're like, um, this one sounds really cool, guys. Yeah, exactly. The Death Adder. <laughs> so, okay. I just want a mouse, yeah. man. Um, so, so I got a new mouse, cleaned my keyboard. Um, I've been playing a lot of World of Warcraft. I'm, I'm kind of being a dork this week. Um but no shame. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? How have you been this week? I've been pretty good. Um, I'm about to make a pretty big move here in a couple of weeks. I've been uh, getting our house ready to sell, and I'm heading across the country pretty soon. Um, so that's that's interesting. Uh, of course, Super Bowl was yesterday, and we decided with all my, my high school friends it was time for us to get together one last time before I head out. So, you know, we had a, a very fun party, and I'm feeling the after effects of it today, that's for sure. Um, uh, hungover highway classic <laughs> you might be able to hear it in my voice a little bit it definitely was uh it was a rager um nah you you sound fine you uh, sound perfect well that's the benefit of always speaking in one tone for your entire life <laughs> it's like this is my happy voice and this is my hungover voice you know <laughs> um but anyway okay so cool glad to hear you're doing well uh Aramori. Uh, and i'm happy to be back here doing this podcast again as well so, yeah, me too. Last week, just before we had gone live, the new patch notes had dropped and we had to kind of react very much on the fly. Yeah. It, was, it was about like an hour before the podcast, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, so that was definitely an interesting time. We made a bunch of predictions. 
Um, so what we're going to do is I want to see what your thoughts are now that we've been a week into the meta and, and how it's felt in range for you. What, 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 what's your take on the, the uh, third season so far? Yeah, so I've played maybe a total of 15 ranked games, so I haven't really like dove into ranked super much but i've also scrimmed uh maybe like five or six blocks so i've 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 seen a lot of like what people are trying to at least trying to play in scrims Mm -hmm. or like what people think the meta is and i hate to say it but i was right ball meta it's Mm -hmm. back he's Mm -hmm. swinging in he's wrecking everything (laughs) it's um it's kind of crazy uh to think that just like one and this is like what we were saying and what you were saying about just having a character that can just kind of like roll around permanently it's so hard to balance him but yeah just one change and suddenly he's everywhere and i just there's just balls (laughs) in my nightmares (laughs) right now so um not only is ball super good, but with, you know, ball being very good and soldier being very good, Zen is also being played again. So right now, um, this like scrim meta that I'm seeing in terms of, you know, support has kind of turned into like this Zen meta again. But in Overwatch 1, you know, people were playing like the Zen Brig. It's very interesting now that people still just don't think that Brig is good, which I agree. I don't think Brig is good enough. I don't think the changes made her crazy. She's definitely better, but I don't know about meta. Uh, and instead of the Brig, um, they have opted to play either Kiriko or Ana. So it, it's kind of interesting. Um, and I think when when Overwatch 2 was being played uh, in Owl, we also saw the, the Ana Zen. So it's interesting that we've kind of gone back to um, kind of like the start of Overwatch 2 meta in a, in a sense, in a way. Um, yeah, Zen Ana, which is so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I think the reason why Brig doesn't feel as good as she used to be is because her stun was just simply yeah. her identity. And they took it away, but didn't give her any replacement, right? So when, yeah. she, when we came into Overwatch 2, all she was was like a slightly better healer than Lucio. But there are heroes that can do that with the other utility, right? Like, you can, yeah. you have Kiriko, who has a cleanse, has an immortality, has a teleport, wall climb, all of that, right? And still, at the end of the day, will do more heals than a Brig does, yeah. right? So, <laughs> moving into Overwatch 2, Brig just didn't have an identity to, to play around. Um, yeah. And I think that's why she, people... She's good, quote-unquote, right? Like, she has a decent amount of heal output. She can survive okay on her own. But she doesn't have something that takes her from being I can heal to I can heal and carry like Kiriko does, yep. like Ana does, right? And I think that might be why you're seeing Ana kind of replace Brig in this meta is because Sleep Dart is still one of the best CCs in the game and Ball is very easy to hit with a Sleep Dart. Yes, he um, is. <laughs> that coupled with the, the self-heal grenade, which is really strong for, for supports trying to peel for each other. I mean, Ana is essentially replacing Brig in the peel and stun department yep. at this point. Um, and if you're not running her, you would run Kiriko because, well, Kiriko's kind of broken. Uh, so, you know, she's got the, the cleanse to keep the, the Zen up through the, the slam or to even negate it if she times it well. She herself can survive very easily if things get dodgy by teleporting to her ball or her whoever. And she has a ton of burst damage. So, you know, if there's like, say, a tracer that comes after you, you know, a quick headshot melee and 
that's it you know what i mean or even just the pressure of the tracer having to worry about this it's, it's like yeah. fighting a hanzo or a cassidy with kill. you really have to have your movement down pat that means you do less damage so it makes a lot of sense to me um i definitely I definitely still am, am going with what I said before. Like you said, it, when you have a character like Ball who has infinite utility, little change is all you need to take them from being like, why would anyone play this yeah. to he's meta now. He's like the meta. Um, yeah. So um, I will say <clears throat> Ball is being played a lot. Like um, I think on uh, almost every single map. However, I will say it's not like a hard meta. I have actually seen and heard because I, I am not, you know, able to spectate contender scrims. But what I've heard is that the contenders players are trying to force like this Ryan Bap cast, which is something that you brought up last week, brawl again, um, and just kind of like run with that. And that has been played, especially on the new map, Antarctica seems to be a very uh brawl oriented map a very like close space a lot of like close corridors a lot of easy access to high ground um i've seen a lot of like this ryan um cast bap uh brawl um with may uh as well so um the ryan changes seem to have made him you know a little bit more viable i don't know so like i'm kind of on the fence of it like is this actually real or is this like contenders players hopium is this like ryan players hopium of like oh i i really want him to be good I like the changes please but um i have seen it played so we'll kind of see if that that continues or if like ball ends up you know just reigning supreme but so far it seems pretty versatile but i mean i think i think people thought that it was versatile before jotes really kind of took over too so i i guess we'll see like where it goes i'm i'm interested i'm i'm keeping an eye on it so we'll see right and uh you know <clears throat> i don't think that ryan was ever necessarily like bad in overwatch mm -hmm. 2 i think that with overwatch 2 we've had a lot of issues with um characters that can do everything right yeah and while that is a <clears throat> they said it's a point of uh trying to make the game more uh, versatile, you know, if everyone can do everything, you have to really think outside the box with what you have. Um, but I don't think that that's a good way to go, personally. I think there's a balance between that and rock, paper, scissors, where it's like, oh, you're a Pharah, I go Widow, now I win, right? That kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I think there's a balance to be to be had there. Um, and and Ryan, I'm I'm actually thinking it's more so his surroundings that might be making him played more than the the change that he got um cassidy being buffed is a big deal for ryan comps yeah because cassidy historically has always been a great character to play with ryan even since like early days of overwatch it was cassidy ryan metas then when you know brawl sort of sort of took place after goats uh you know you had cassidy for the flash fan the hammer on the enemy ryan and zen discord all that um so it, it's very much been a he is very he's a staple with ryan because as you swing with your ryan you can apply a lot of pressure um yep. and with the the range buff that he got uh he still has that fan the hammer on his his toolkit and with may you know you just wall off the ryan fan the hammer and as that ryan has to back off from the pressure then you're just you can just kind of free fire so um definitely makes sense to me now i i'm not I want to know why is Ramatra not being played more right now? Do you have a, a take on that? Um, 
again, it might just come down to the like Ryan Hopium. However, I have seen him being played, just not as much as like the Ryan or the um the ball. And it might be because like Cassidy is being played more, right? Like like Ryan just has that ability to um I guess like enable his cast like poke more and Ram kind of just has to like maybe hide a little bit more. Um, I could be wrong. I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure. It's it. It kind of depends on like the map a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I I think maybe like Ryan just beats Ram in in the brawl. I'm not sure. I'm not a tank player. <laughs> so if any tank players know, please let me know. I'm 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 down to understand. I'm down to learn. Um, okay. So, Mercy Changes. It was a big topic last week, okay? I still think it's a huge topic this week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been all over Twitter. Um, and kind of like the the train of events that happened was Mercy Changed announced, community freakout, community immediately wanting reverts. Uh, and then, you know, it comes out and wait a second. Mercy's better than she was before. Okay, Mercy's perfect. Don't change Mercy. We're so good right now. <laughs> All I'm saying is I told everyone this. All right? Everyone's like, the guardian angel. And I'm like, do you realize how much healing you're going to be doing now? And yeah. on top of that, what slipped through the cracks for everybody was the passive change. The fact that you get health based off of how much you're healing. So immediately my thought was, okay, well, now Mercy's literally unkillable in Valk because more heals oh, on yeah. top of more heals with when when they're below 50% and she can heal multiple people at a time meaning that yeah. she's just going to be like it's like a zen trank right and yeah. I, as soon as i saw those changes and i even said it on the last podcast i'm like mercy is going to be better she's going to have to spend less time peeling to heal people so she can balance pocketing a lot more but now she also has that main healer option as well right that's kind of what we're seeing we're seeing mercies who are able to literally pocket someone through a winston primal like there's nothing you can do i saw a yeah. clip of a of winston diving a zen on junkertown yeah and he's just getting his he's just getting beat in the corner for the whole primal and the, the winston did it perfectly he had the juggle down he had the burst damage down it didn't matter it's crazy um yeah and I, like i i tried to say to all the all the mercy people came after me about that take they were like you don't know what you're talking about you don't play the character and i'm like okay well we'll just see how how it goes in a week and sure enough now everyone's like man mercy is she's stupid broken now she's dumb it was a fun nerf and a net buff is what a lot of people are saying yeah. um but yeah it, it's definitely interesting to see that she's been uh improved so much by those changes um and i think that yeah. hot take i think that this is a better direction for the character um than than her previous i agree too i feel like she really struggled with her own identity in the past and moving in this direction well i don't think it's something that they'll necessarily keep like this exact you know numbers or patch or whatever but moving in the direction of like okay we want to take her away from being like this like damage boost bot or like this like because like you never see mercy of like oh my god that mercy is so good you see like oh my god that soge mercy is so good oh my god that ash mercy is so good Mm -hmm. so giving her her own identity and her own like way to make plays more uh than she had in the past i'm not saying obviously she couldn't i'm just saying it was very hard um i think is a very very healthy direction uh for her uh 
However, I think the healing buff has to go at what it is currently. Healing so much under 50% HP is it's ridiculous. I, I just like can't like again, you, you brought up that clip of it was a monkey priming a Zen into a corner and he was like jumping on him and meleeing and doing like everything he could. And this Zen just was like standing in there, just being pocketed by Mercy, just not dying. So I'm not sure if they'll keep that. Um, but I do think like moving in that direction is very healthy for her, for sure. Right. Okay. So I, I, I enjoy having interesting, like hot takes on balance. All right. And when I say mm -hmm. hot take, I mean the original idea of a hot take, which is like, I haven't thought about this at all. I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. Oh my God. So <laughs> here's, I wonder if, you know, cause they want to do a thing where mercy is able to heal and help her teammates a lot more when they really need it. Right. Mm -hmm. What if, okay. What if she got, what if she had a resource bar like Mora? Okay. Just, mm -hmm. just follow me here. Okay. She had a resource bar like Mora, damage boosting, filled it up to the top, and then she would get, like, burst heals based off of how much she had. So, like, when she switched over to healing, yeah. she would do increased healing while at the Ooh. full resource. Then as it got lower, her healing would reduce. That way, if you have people diving a target, she can't just keep them up forever. But if someone Ooh. is, like, crit, she can go over and help them. You know what I mean? I like that a lot. And it wouldn't, I like, like... I like that so much more than just default. And at the bottom, I, in my mind, at the bottom, she wouldn't not be able to heal like Mora can, but she would mm. heal more as she gets more damage boost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then you have to balance the two. You know? I, I think yeah. that would be an interesting way to incorporate kind of what they're going for. Um, and may definitely make Mercy a lot more thought-provoking as a character, because that's yeah. what a lot of people have a struggle with, is like, oh, Mercy mains don't have to think at all, <laughs> right? Well... Um, <laughs> But that, that's what they say, right? Um, but I think that having something like that where it's like a balance where, you know, if a Mercy is, like, damage boosting, she's really, like, mm -hmm. playing her heals well, and then you go and dive a target and she just has a full bar of, like, heal boost, then, you know, she had to she had to uh, siphon heals out to get yeah. those, you know what I mean? Uh, imagine, imagine getting dope as, like, a Zen or, like, I don't know, uh, a cast or something, and your Mercy's healing you, and you just die anyways and she goes oh sorry i just i just didn't have enough heals dude <laughs> it's so yeah. good yeah i mean <laughs> you know I, I think that something like that to make mercy a little bit more um thought thought requirement and uh have more thought requirement and just be she they, she can still have this heal boost thing they're going for which is like uh -huh. she can do a lot of heals to someone who needs it but not forever you know what i mean yeah which is kind of the issue that there is now um, but anyway, just a, a little spicy idea that, that popped into mind. Um, might be an interesting thing to try. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, is there, is there anything else you wanted to talk about as far as the, the changes so far this season have been? Um, no, not much. Uh, Soldier was also being played a lot more, which we, we had said was probably going to happen as well. Um, Sojourn, I, I have still being played. It's kind of like, uh, either Soldier, Soldier or Sojourn. Uh, and then like Tracer is pretty much like a staple. Um, and then also just like throw a wild cast or echo or Genji into the mix. So D DPS right now is pretty viable. <clears throat> like just um, a lot of 
different heroes are pretty viable and it, at the same time as like a lot of different tanks and, and supports are very viable. So right now, meta seems healthy, but I I am kind of pessimistic that the meta is going to settle and then we'll see things kind of like fall into place. So I mean, that's usually how it goes when there's big yeah. changes like this. That wouldn't be anything new. Um, I don't have a prediction on that for the first time ever. Usually I have a prediction like... There's videos of me saying that Goat's Comp was going to be meta on Game Leap like yeah. two and a half months before it happened. Um, just because I had like caught a whiff of it. Like the first time that, the first or second time they scrimmed it, I had heard about it through the grapevine. And when I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's going to be the comp. And it took like a few months <laughs> of people seeing them run it before they realized and it, it, yeah. it took over for years. But like I, I've always had like a take on what's going to sort of be the settling point i don't have one this time um yeah it might just be because i haven't played that much but i think that we're in an interesting state and uh i think that ball meta it right now it's healthier for the game um than this some of the other tanks that's for sure but uh yeah I, i'm i'm super excited to see where the season takes us uh in other news there's been a uh, massive shift in in contenders which is definitely uh, your wheelhouse so i'm gonna let you take the floor for that one you want to go ahead and talk about it yeah so um i kind of heard about this um through through the grapevine uh, a little while ago um but basically the tldr uh if you will is that the western region um and i'm I'm not 100% sure if it, it is also um the asia regions as well but the western region finally has a way for path to pro or contenders to work their way up directly to competing in um, tournaments within uh, the overwatch league so we're gonna break this down a little bit because that's first of all it's crazy right because mm -hmm. that has never ever been an option in the five years of the league right after franchising that has never been an option for players it was either you get signed or you don't play um right in the overwatch league at the very least um but now that's that's finally opened up and then there's also some new uh restrictions that come along with that as well um because contenders was more so i don't think there was an age limit um it was just kind of like a free-for-all like kind of yeah. like show mm -hmm. up and play for the most part um you know if you had a good enough team or if you were a good enough player. Mm -hmm. uh, but now that it has kind of like shifted. So I want to get your thoughts on, you know, first of all, like how well do we think the teams are going to do? Like, um, do we think it's like healthy for Overwatch? Do we think it's a, it's a, you know, move for the league to like go in the right direction? Like what are, what are your thoughts about all of this? I think that this is a, um, this is, so I have, there's one of two ways I think this is going to go, all right? This is either mm -hmm. a, uh, um, what's the word for it? It's a test of sorts, a, uh, I guess a litmus test maybe is what I'm looking for, but I don't think that's really mm -hmm. it. But I think Blizzard is trying to see how will the community look because, let me, let me sort of backtrack a little bit here. One of the things we talked about last uh, week on the podcast, I believe, was overwatch league kind of having a really tumultuous outlook on this year yeah. um with lots of the you know contracts with team owners sort of coming to a close this year and uh 
you know, lots of stuff that kind of in the works. There's that uh that lawsuit from the investors to Blizzard uh, going on. Lots of uh, shifting shifting Scary. plates. So what I think this is either one of two things. This is either Blizzard testing the waters and saying, hey, you know, if we do move away from that model, what will our viewership and what will stuff look like with like the pro am tournaments, right? Okay. Um, I think that might be a big test because if it ends up being decent then Blizzard will know, okay, well, we can turn this into a relegation league, which essentially means the bottom teams of Overwatch League drop out and the top teams of contenders come up, right? Because at that point, if you don't have franchising, that's how esports works, yep. right? That's that's the traditional way. So if it ends up not working with the team owners and the massive investor scale that they have now, they might be sort of testing the water and seeing how would it work if we kind of tried to pivot, mm -hmm. you know? So that might be one way that they're sort of approaching it and why they're doing this, because um, this might be a bit of a bleak outlook, but I think that Blizzard has only operated in their own interest the entire time. Oh, when it comes 100%. to When it comes to Overwatch League, I don't think they've ever cared about what the players think, what the community thinks, or what their investors think, uh, or rather what the team owners think. They care mm -hmm. about what their stock owners think, but not the team owners as much. Um, so I think that they might be planning a pivot or testing the waters. That might be why they've started this pro-am thing. Um, but either way, I do actually think that it is a, uh, a healthy approach for the game because now we're starting to see a direct path where if you are just straight up good enough, you will get noticed, right? You yeah. won't become contenders locked because you'll have the pro-am tournaments that you can play in, right? Um... So I, I think it's a good path. Um, I'm still kind of just worried about... I think Overwatch has a lot of talent and not enough space for it. That's always yeah. been the problem. Like, there are players who, back in the day, I watched in Contenders, and I'm like, these players would absolutely crush it in Overwatch League, but they're just there was no space. And eventually, you know what happened to those players? They went off and did things where there they was space. Quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They went they went pro in other games or did other things that paid more and had room for them to actually come into. Um, so that has always been a major point of concern for me with Overwatch. And I think that the Pro Am tournaments are sort of creating a little bit more space on that front. Mm -hmm. Um, but it kind of feels it kind of feels like either too little, too late, or just not enough right now. But yep. We'll see. I mean, we really will see. As long as if they pivot back to a grassroots kind of thing, that would be very interesting and great for the game. Um, but we just have to see how things with the team owners go right now, because right now we're in a franchise model, and that's not going anywhere for the time being. Um, but that's my take on it. Uh, to answer your question, I do think it's healthy, and I think that they're trying to plan a pivot. Yeah. So I agree that Blizzard is definitely trying to maybe right some wrongs or or even just like appease some of their their diehard fans um and i think i think they do understand that there is a lot of talent that has not been able to to get into the overwatch league kind of like from what you were saying mm -hmm. simply because you know they they have a set amount of teams that were able to provide i think it, well, the buy-in was something like 40 million per overwatch league team or something crazy like that mm -hmm. um and so they only had like a set amount of of, you know, investors or, or people that were willing to to buy into their business model. So once the once all those spaces filled up, you know, there's nowhere else for these players to go except for contenders. Right. And 
contenders at the beginning was livable. It was it was a feasible thing to say, okay, I'm going to play under Envy in contenders and I'm going to make a livable wage um, and I'm going to win tournaments and make money. And that was feasible. Like there were players who made, you know, around 50 grand a, a year, which is the league minimum. And I'm not saying that's like crazy money. I'm not saying that's, you know, the same. Well, it could be the same amount that they would make an owl. That is the minimum. But I'm not saying like that's that's something, you know, crazy to aspire to, but it's livable. It's something a person could, you know, live on their own and survive off of and feed themselves and not worry too much. However, that has drastically changed as, you know, Blizzard has come under fire and like uh, the league has lost viewership. And so contenders became not livable, right? So for these players to survive, the only option was to get to over to Overwatch League and like we've been saying there's limited spots so I, I do think this is very healthy and I also think it kind of quells some of that you know maybe like frustration that the pro scene has had with Blizzard for some time of I have been playing this game for years and I've been top contenders and I just can't make that final like leap or you know maybe I am I think of myself as that, you know, Overwatch level, but like teams just can't afford to bring on another player, right? Like there just isn't space. So I, I do think it is a really nice step in the right direction. Um, however, there is another concern to be talked about, and that is some of the restrictions that are now being put on contenders team, contenders teams. So contenders teams now will have an age limit there is going to be an age requirement for competing in contenders and i have written here um 17 question mark so <laughs> it's either uh 17 or 18 um i'll have to double check or you know uh we can link it if you guys are curious to the article um but in the past uh traditionally contenders has allowed um you know pretty much I mean, I don't think we'll see any like, you know, 12 year olds running around in contenders. I think there is like a 13 year old, 14 year old or up requirement. But now they, they have uh, significantly, significantly increased that. And this is major because we do see a lot of the young talent in Overwatch who cannot compete in the Overwatch League because there has always been an 18. Uh, well, now it's 17, but um an 18 or up requirement for the Overwatch League um, competing in contenders because they can't, they, there's just no option to move up. It's not a matter of skill. It's not a matter of how much time they put into the game. They're, they cannot legally, they mm -hmm. cannot move, move forward. So, um, and it's interesting because I think the first player that comes to mind when people talk uh, about that stuff is like sugar free. Right. Like Sugar Free traditionally ran contenders um, mm -hmm. before, you know, he moves on to to Valorant for a bit and then, you know, is now back and on Vancouver Titans. But um, which is his debut year, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. But um, he was running show in contenders and everybody knew, OK, this kid deserves Overwatch League. He, sh he just can't. So now that that is actually I think in contenders as well, we have a bunch of young players who I immediately think of like Infected, who was on Uprising Academy. I think of Tree, who has been like I, I personally think is like a young prodigy. We have like like players like Vega. We have all of these players who are now going to be kind of like 
SOL, right? Like they don't, they don't have a home. They're not going to find teams that want to practice with them. They're kind of just like kicked to the curb. And so what do these players do that, that this is like what they have put their time and energy into and, you know, had a decent shot at, you know, making a living off of it. And now it's kind of like up in the air. Right. So that is, that is a huge change. And I want, I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. Yeah. So I, it's a very questionable change for me. My assumption is that there's some legality on Blizzard's side. That would be the only reason I'd see to make that change. Um, It's definitely concerning because like you said, uh, actually, interestingly enough, the first player that comes to my mind when I think of a young talent right now is Tree. Um, So I'm I'm right there with you. I think Tree is an insanely talented player and uh, will definitely be a future star in the league should it continue <laughs> operating yeah um, for sure but yeah I, I think the tree is definitely up there as far as young talent goes and it, it is sad to see that he, he doesn't have any anything to do now you know um i mean i i don't really know exactly what the legality behind it is but uh it, it's not a great change is my take on it uh especially yeah. because historically Overwatch League uh, scouts. All right, I don't even, do they even have scouts anymore? I don't even know if that's a thing. There is a coach just do it. I I think if you can call managers and assistant coaches and head coaches scouts, then sure. Okay, so they don't have scouts yeah. anymore. <laughs> okay, got it. So anyway, um, so historically in Overwatch League, there's been a lot of uh, like, there's been a lot of stigma around age. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas in most other developed shooters, a lot of the professional, a lot of the professional talent is like mid twenties or older. You know, even in Counter Strike, it's like you got you had there was a pro team of people who were like pushing forty. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of much older talent, and there there are studies to show that you don't peak when you're eighteen. You peak when you're in your mid twenties, right? And I think that. This is just going to make things even more complicated because in Overwatch League, if you when especially when it first started, people wanted people wanted to treat it like it was like the NBA or like the NFL, where you want to pick up someone who's really young that you can develop like this and then use them as a star player for ten years, right? Clearly, that is not what has happened, and I think that there needs to be a shift in mentality of people who are like. Well, we need someone who's like 18, 19, who we can mold and make a future generational talent. Because yeah. realistically, even the best players in the league end up team hopping a bunch because people just, there's teams that cannot have the budget to maintain them or a new game comes out and they quit. I mean, it it's not the NBA, all right? It's just not. There's not enough money to justify this ridiculous amount of age restriction and all these like all this red yeah. tape around people wanting to develop and be better players. You have to you have to cater to what you have, right? You have to know yeah. your audience, know your your people. If you're trying to treat the Overwatch League like it's the NBA, it's not going to work. All right? And that's what's happened so far. Viewership is tanked, player conditions are horrible, absolutely awful. All the traveling that they had to do back during the homestand days and it, it was terrible the player conditions were not great for what they were making right and like you said contenders doesn't even have a, live, a livable wage anymore all right which is insane it, it really is i mean the the best scene under overwatch league is the collegiate scene 
Yeah, right? it is. It actually is. <laughs> it, it, it literally is, right? Like, and and I think that while that that is a great thing on its own, right? Because that is something people should do if they're good at Overwatch. I mean, it's obviously depending on your situation, but I think that using that to land a scholarship is huge. It's a good mm -hmm. experience, and it's good for legitimizing both your work effort if you're a serious com competitor it makes it sort of uh it, it gives you something that connects all the effort you put in to real reward which blizzard doesn't really have right now with the way everything is set up and it also legitimizes uh competing in games in general right when people yeah. are getting scholarships and things like that it's very clear to uh the culture as a whole like society as a whole that this is something that's probably going to be around for a long time right the degree of which might change but mm -hmm. i don't think esports is going to be going anywhere uh for a while so this change with the age requirement i think it, it's a strange one i i imagine it's just because of some legality some law or something that blizzard mm -hmm. has to comply with but uh i don't think it's very good for for the game in the long run yeah, I, I agree with you. It has to be some, like, something um, a, a lawyer could tell me, I'm mm -hmm. sure, uh, on why it's happening. Um, to kind of go back into, you know, uh, contenders not, you know, being a, a livable situation or, or players not being able to make, like, a livable wage, uh, I'm interested, and this is, like, a thought that just kind of, like, pop, popped into my head, but I'm interested to hear maybe your thoughts on um so instead you know we have these really good players who instead have opted to go into content creation because it is just more feasible to try to maybe take the following they had from from playing semi-pro or, or even professionally like i'm thinking like apply um or you know like sleepy or sure for or like any of these players who have just kind of like gone and made their own brand and been successful on their own because um there is no feasible you know path to pro if they're not playing in the overwatch league there's no reason for them to continue to try to put energy into uh playing you know professionally mm -hmm. um so again like all these crazy players who just said eh, that's not for me i'm just gonna i'm just gonna book it and you know, make myself successful. Um, I definitely think that's a, a different avenue. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's something I definitely have personal experience with because uh, <laughs> when you and I had met, I actually was a, a competitor. Uh, you know, I, I played yep. a lot. I remember. <laughs> of, you know, I, I scrimmed a lot. I mean, my schedule back then was uh, wake up early, very early morning for European scrims. Right, because I played yeah. on an EU team at one point and realized I can do EU scrims and NA scrims and double how much I'm practicing in a day. Right, <laughs> My so God. I would wake up and if I was on an EU team, I'd scrim there. If I wasn't, I would ring in EU. I would then go and have lunch, go through some daily things, and by 1 p.m. I was hopping back on for ranked until it was time to do NA scrims. All right, that was my cycle like every day. Wasn't healthy at all, but it's what I did. I hit rank two on the ladder. I played on a bunch of really good teams. My my old team, it was uh, an EU team called Koniga, and we were scrimming contenders teams right before Goats hit because we were terrible at Goats. But right before Goats hit, we were scrimming contenders teams. The best team at the time was Eagle Gaming, and we were like trading maps with them in 
um, in our scrims. I mean, they were 17-1 and one in contenders when we played them and we were trading maps with them. So we were a really good team. Um, then Goat's hit and it all fell apart, which is another thing we should probably talk about for unhealthy competitive scene is when in the middle of a competitive season, they'll just shift the whole meta <laughs> and an entire team that was great before will just become terrible because that happened to me twice. But anyway, um, yeah. going back to what I was saying, though, like I was a competitor at the time. And <clears throat> as I continued on and on, um, I decided that, you know, if I'm going to be playing ranked every day, I might as well stream it. Right? I'll just yep. start there. It became very apparent to me very quickly when I started doing that, that even the highest paid competitive Overwatch player, okay, no matter who it was, okay, no matter what contract we're talking, the Decay contract, the Sinatra, no matter who it was, okay, they will not get paid anything compared to a top content creator. It just won't even be close. I mean, so, XQC is a wonderful example of that, you know, no matter how you feel about the guy, but it's just... he. He's making millions. And he yeah. came from over the fact that he came from the Overwatch scene blows my mind. He there's there's no one there's nobody that was as successful as him from the Overwatch scene. Like yeah. no, not a single person. Yeah. That started from Overwatch, not a single person. So yeah, I definitely agree. That the sky is the freaking limit with uh content creation for sure. And uh, you know, orgs, they can only give you so much, right? Unless so you're a creator. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's pretty true too yeah um okay so so this kind of moves us into you know what i wanted to talk about for the um you know final topic of today um and i know we have something i know we have something else in there but i'm gonna skip it um mm -hmm. <laughs> uh but mm. something that you know especially us we we both have experience coaching we both have experience as players um something that i know we are both very attuned to is um ego within esports and this is something that i feel like every single person who is in contact with esports like if you're a manager if you're an owner if you're a player if it doesn't matter who you are you have had experience with this um uh but the the ego within esports okay so um, especially as a coach, uh, I, I have seen this a lot firsthand, but I want to just talk about like, what does having an ego kind of do to you as a player? How does that impact you? Um, how does that impact the scene? I want to hear your thoughts. Um, but let's just talk about like from the player perspective first, how does that, how does that impact a player? Do you think? I think that there's two types of ego, right? There's mm -hmm. a healthy ego and an unhealthy ego okay or a toxic one having a healthy ego is good you need to have confidence in what you're doing in order to perform at a high level right you need to be able to go for those crazy plays where it's like you know this yeah. is a 2v4 but if i use my ult here i think i can actually win this based yeah, on what i'm not seeing. be scared like exactly like, i see and, some like ana players just like in narnia like permanently yeah, i'm like what right. are you doing? <laughs> and i think that that's important and that comes from having an ego and being confident in yourself right but then there's the other side which is always shifting blame outwards always saying you know i'm better than my surroundings i'm better than my peers right mm -hmm. that is an unhealthy ego 
because one no one wants to be around you if you're like that okay i'll say it everyone who is around you is only around you because of a gravy train if you're that good right if you're really good and you're a pain in the butt to deal with people are just sticking around you because you're good right and that's bad with esports because the further up you go the more important it is to get along with people okay? oh yeah so if you can't get along with people starting at the bottom you're gonna have some troubles ever making a career out of it there are some yeah yeah to kind of like hammer in on that i can't tell you and this is just as, as like a, a a business standpoint it doesn't like not even as like a player but i can't tell you how many opportunities i've had open up for me just because people enjoy like you know talking to me or you know know that i'm friendly and, and like a you know i like to think of myself as a good person um and i feel like that comes across and that comes across like as a player that comes across as like um anytime you know i i did a lot of like social media work i did i did some from the boston uprising um that comes across you know when i'm coaching uh and I'm, i i work a lot with like high school kids and so that comes across to like their their teachers and and the parents and and all that kind of stuff too so just kind of um i i know that the message wasn't you know getting along with people but that capacity to do that and to be kind also kind of goes with like the ego of like, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I am better than, you know, the people that I try to like coach or the people that, you know, I play with. So it, yeah, the, I, I like that point you made for sure. The other thing is that, especially when you start getting into the point where you start getting coaching, your ego will get in the way of that. And I have had a lot of situations especially lately where I've tried to coach someone and they think they're better than I am. And we just hit yeah. a, a, a stone wall because of that. Right. I don't yeah. want to say I'm better than anyone. Okay. But I do know what I'm talking about. And that's where it comes to a, that's the difference between having a healthy ego and a unhealthy one. I'm not going to outright say I'm better than anyone unless they're being stupid and ranked. Then I say it all the time. Just saying, but <laughs> I'll just be honest, okay? If someone's like, you're trash, I'll go, I'm better than you, and stop talking to them, okay? I do say it, I'm not perfect. But when I'm in a serious coaching environment, when I'm trying to work with the team and we're all focusing on the same goal, and someone is just constantly either being condescending to me or arguing with me or whatever, right? Then it puts a, a dampening on our improvement, not just that person's improvement, but the entire team's improvement, yeah. right? Because a lot of the time, especially in the head coach position, you have to have a clear idea, not just for each player, but for the team as a whole, how you're going to strategize, put yourself in the best situation based off of all the, the sum of your parts, right? And when you have a player who just doesn't want to operate within the system, that will definitely throw a wrench in the in the plans. And it's yeah, it's not even just esports exclusive, it's everything it's industry-wide every everything if you are in a team yeah. and you don't know how to understand somebody has to be able to keep everyone moving in a, in a clear direction together someone has to be able to coordinate everybody if you can't understand that and you take that as this person's trying to say they're better than me that's why they're telling me what to do you're not going to you are going to have yeah. a tough time getting anywhere yeah and 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 also what you're saying is very much from like the coach point of view but i will say um and, and maybe this is true for you it's definitely true for me um it takes a it takes some mental um strength 
to swallow your pride and to listen to your coach and to say, I am going to take this advice and I'm going to apply it. And, and I think that has a lot to do with a player's personal ego as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this like firsthand, it, it took a lot for me to, um, just accept the, you know, advice and the coaching that is being given and to kind of like almost in a way, like let go of control and kind of just like be willing to apply things and try things that like uh, a coach gives. And I, I do feel like that comes a lot from, from ego. And I also feel in a way that ego can be tied to insecurity. If you are maybe in a way, you know, insecure about your play, you might try to blame others, you might try to, you know, um, try to prove yourself. And you know, maybe any feedback you receive is instead, you know, heavy, you know, bad criticism and all that mm. kind of stuff, too, as well. So um, and, I, and, you know, I relate a lot of what you were saying, like as a coach, but just also as a player, it, it takes a lot to kind of like, Maybe not for others, but for me, it does take a lot to kind of like relinquish that and kind of like let go for sure. Right. And um, for those of you who don't know how Aramori and I actually met, I did used to, <laughs> I coached her back in the day, right? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything embarrassing. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely say that in those very early days, you were very insecure in your abilities as a player. And... That was a major point of concern and that's going back to the healthy ego thing you didn't have a, a healthy ego at that time as a player it, you didn't have a toxic one but you also were not confident you didn't want to expand your hero pool you didn't want to main call you didn't want to take over like i told you that you could right and it took a lot of laying the groundwork bit by bit to make that happen but then later on that team actually got pretty good right you guys all that's ended up true. You all ended up playing above the sum of your parts. I mean, and, and most people on that team have now gone on to make it pretty deep into Grandmaster, right? Yeah. Uh, and at the time, it was like a, a uh, Diamond slash Masters team. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a low Masters yeah. team, like 3.6, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. and, and then they ended like 4-2, 4-3, which mm -hmm. is crazy if you think about it. It's it a really big improvement. In terms of improvement, yeah. yeah. And, and look at where you've gotten now. You know, you at the time you were a quiet and nervous mercy one trick at that time. And now you've gone and become a you first of all, you became a great off tank. All right. So you have that in your pocket. I can't believe you remember that. <laughs> of course I remember it. You became a great off tank. You became a main caller. You are very communicative now. You're very confident in your abilities now. And you're a contenders level flex support. So I mean to go from that to where you are now that only happened because you were willing to step out of your comfort zone at that time mm -hmm. forever ago right and i'm not gonna just to be just to be 100 percent clear i'm not saying that i was responsible for that all on the way no it, it's, all saying, it's, all, it's all highway it's all highway what i'm saying my is, entire journey over five years mm -hmm, yeah exactly it's all me you're welcome first of all um but no like what i'm saying is if you hadn't started at that point by trusting in what i was telling you mm -hmm. who knows where you would have been now right yep. maybe you wouldn't even be playing overwatch who knows but all it took was just that initial breakthrough of you know what i'm just gonna try it and trust it and see and then mm -hmm. you got progression out of that and you probably carried that throughout your entire time 
all all throughout those five years throughout your other coaches throughout your other teams you probably carry that mentality of you know what i don't believe in it but let me just try it right yeah and that's why you've gotten better because even if you don't believe in something being right until you try it you don't know you really don't know all the dynamics at play overwatch has a ton of different interactions a ton of different reasons for stuff and unless you try something you can't dig into the why which is what makes you better it's not about whether or not x is bad or y is good or sorry that's confusing lingo (laughs) a is good or b is bad right it's not Mm -hmm. about that it's more about why is a good why is b bad because Mm -hmm. you get into situations in the middle where it's like okay i can navigate this now because i know what's happening i know Mm -hmm. why i know why pharah is actually able to kill widow on certain maps right you look at it on paper widow is a counter to pharah but if the map is all close range and pharah can conk into widow she's just gonna kill her every time right there's interactions like that in overwatch that you can look at on paper and be like oh this is not going to work this is not going to work but until you get into it until you understand positioning and all of that you don't understand it truly and Mm -hmm. sometimes you the only way to do that is to just try it um and ego will get in the way of that every time Um, something that a coach um that you know i i I worked uh, a LAN as a coach uh, with a bunch of my high school students. It was a crazy experience. It was like uh, five days long. And there was a lot of coaches who came to kind of like oversee the whole project. And one of the coaches that came kind of said something, you know, it, it seems really simple and it seems kind of obvious, but something that he said that kind of like stuck with me was, you know, like as a coach, you really have to, you know, have your players understand that you see all and they see one, Mm -hmm. you know, perspective of what's going on within a game. So, you know, um, there's a lot of coaches and, and maybe even players that echo what, you know, other players are saying like, Oh, we, we lost this fight because we didn't do X, Y, or Z when in reality, it could be something very different that, you know, the coach is saying too. And I'm not saying, you know, coaches shouldn't listen to their players. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Uh, that's also another ego thing that, that coaches have as well. Yeah. Um, but it, it is very like, it, you can only see one screen when you're in game. So it, it is very important to, you know, be mindful, be be open-minded, and and to listen, mm-hmm. for sure. And I want to touch on what you just said, because all of my conversations so far has been from the coaching perspective, but mm-hmm. I also know things from the player perspective. Like I said, I was a competitor, so I know what it's like. And one thing that very high-ego coaches have is this complex of if someone says, if someone challenges me or questions me, that is a insult to, like, my power or something right yeah and they get really heated about it like it's good to have a healthy back and forth from your players because when you understand their perspective you understand how to adjust right if you have a player who is just bad at a certain type of shot for example and you put them in position to take that shot every time they're they're just not going to do well right yep so there are ways to approach it when they say i'm not hitting these shots where you can either set them up on a routine to hit that shot or you can just try to get them some assistance when they go for that play mm-hmm. there's ways you can adjust but you unless you're listening to what your player is saying to you you are not going to be able to make the right calls the right adjustments for your team and yeah and and to kind of like sorry to like interrupt no, but to kind of like talk about that 
there are a lot of different styles of coaching um, at the pro level. Um, and so I'm not saying this is how it works for everybody, but there are a lot of successful Overwatch League teams that their coaching model is to talk to their players because these players at the pro level, a lot of them, I'm not going to say all of them know what they're talking about, but a lot of them understand the game to a very deep level uh, and the coaches trust them. And I think that level of trust is what makes teams very good. And a, a team that actually comes to mind that does this a lot, that lets players kind of lead things a little bit more and, and the coaches kind of like take what the players are saying and, and build off of that is gladiators who have been consistently good from the beginning. I, well, I'm not going to say that because I don't remember season one, but like have been consistently good. They were um, good season one. They had short for and um, okay, okay. Cool. I mean, they, they were so, good season one. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they've been consistently good for all of Overwatch League, and they have that kind of model of they even let I think players like run uh, bot reviews and such, and mm. that works for them, and that. And I think that's a little bit different than I think a lot of teams um, run in, in the Overwatch League. But um, I, I do think it's a very healthy environment that uh, promotes a lot of improvement. And that's because the coaches and players do not have like crazy egos. They're they're just like, OK, this is a problem. We're having this problem in scrims. OK, how do we fix it? And then they work together to improve. And I absolutely love that. I adore that. I agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely good to to listen to both sides and understand that both sides are the, you have the same goal first of all, right? So there's no reason to have conflicting there's no reason to have conflict in that sense, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't go into battle with someone you hate, right? You just wouldn't right. trust them. So you right. have to build that trust in order to accomplish whatever both of you want, right? And being able to understand that you have flaws and they have strengths and vice versa is really important. Um, that way you can connect and, and end up trying to shore up each other's weaknesses. And if you can't accept that you have flaws as a player, you're, you're just, you're always you're going stagnate. to stagnate. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You're always going to be stuck in that spot because you never realize what it is you're missing ever. Yeah. Um, so absolutely agree. Egos are very bad for you, but there is such a, a thing as a good ego, which is yeah. just having confidence in yourself and being able to say, you know, yeah, I deserve to play with the best of the best, right? Yeah. You don't have to say you are the best. You don't have to say I'm better than everyone who tries to say anything. I don't want to listen to my coaches, right? But you need to be able to say, yeah, I'm confident that I'm in that top 1%. I'm confident that I'm yep. up there with the Overwatch League talent. You know, you have to have that ego or else yeah. it's going and, to bleed and through even, your game. Even in Overwatch League, you don't think, you know, these players, they have to go into their match day thinking, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to you know kick butt they don't they don't go in there and you know say like well, well maybe y'all win today i don't know you know mm -hmm. like san francisco shock is really scary mm -hmm. like if they have that mindset it's over before they even start playing the game so i agree healthy ego is very important mm -hmm. um okay so moving on so something else i wanted to talk about and this is something um that i think is very important that we talk about but the overall ego within the scene of esports and uh, not esports but overwatch sorry and and when i think about this i definitely think a lot about certain players um but definitely a lot of the players in the tier two scene that just have like these like crazy egos and a lot of times 
um, you know, when you and I run into them in comp, maybe they're just flaming people and whining and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think you mentioned something to me last week that wasn't wasn't uh, on the podcast, but um, but you were mentioning that maybe some of that frustration comes from, you know, um, content creators, you know, prioritizing mm. themselves or, you know, um, Blizzard and maybe like not listening to them. So I'm curious your thoughts on, on this as well. I, I thought you brought up a lot of good points before. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll touch on this a little bit. Uh, we are running towards the end of our, our runtime here. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'll, I'll go into this just a bit for, since since you brought it up here. Um, content creation in Overwatch has a very interesting situation. This is another place where I have had my foot in both camps as a creator and as a you know competitive player slash coach. So um, you know I'm kind of a Swiss Army knife here, as you can tell. You know I'm kind of kind of awesome like that, but. Anyway, I had I have seen how things work on the back end as far as the creator side and Blizzard communication side goes, and um, it's it's not great. Uh, there is a very big disconnect between what a lot of people see as right in front of them or see as writing on the wall, and what cr some creators sort of play it up as. Right, there are creators who will. My granddad says you can't polish a turd, all right? And that's what a lot of them try to do, okay? Um, you know, a lot of them try to have this really overly positive outlook on things. They're afraid of speaking their minds. Maybe not afraid, but they know that it's beneficial to them to continue to feed the, the Blizzard drain because Blizzard prioritizes those people who have a positive outlook on their game for obvious reasons, right? Yep. You can't really hate them for it. If if someone listening to this right now is like, oh, why would they do that? Then that's why. Because a positive outlook on your game is what you want to have. Yeah, it's, for your it's, PR. it's good marketing. It's, yeah. it's just a simple PR move, right? Mm. And that will sometimes lead to people who are blatantly untruthful representing the community. Because content creators are supposed to represent the community, right? They are mm -hmm. the... People who end up playing as much as the pros, but they also have a bigger platform to speak on than a lot of the pros, right? A lot of the pros don't have these followings unless they end up being a content creator. So what happens is you hear, you know, people who love, let's say, okay, I'm, I'm going to make up a name. All right. Let's say, uh, oh God, what was the Crusher 899? What was it? Crusher... Patrick Star 2007. Okay, Let's sure. Go. <laughs> I was trying to think of the Overwatch League person. It was like Crusher <laughs> Crusher 99 or something from the ads. Mm. Let's say Crusher 99, okay? So people who listen to Crusher 99 and Crusher 99 says, uh, oh, you know, this change is fantastic for the game because blah, 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 right? If it's a terrible change, let's say they gave Widowmaker 500 health, right? Crusher based. 99, not base. Crusher 99 <laughs> might be like, this is a great change for the game because Widowmaker is a high impact hero who, you know, is fun to watch and it's going to make the game more interesting for the viewers and overall improve the scene over time and blah, blah, blah. When we all know that just means we're just going to be getting one shot and spawned by an unkillable hero the whole game, <laughs> right? Let's go. That's not healthy for the game. But if Crusher 99 says it, all of his fans are going to go and regurgitate it because they love Crusher 99. And it sort of ends up having a um, a uh, unbalanced amount of weight, what he's saying. And when he's okay. being blatantly untruthful, 
because he wants to continue getting the blizzard gravy train that ends up creating bucks. that creates a huge disconnect because now you have this one person who's saying one thing even though the, the, everyone's experiencing another just because they're getting essentially paid to do it right hey and, all i'm saying is if blizzard wants to pay me the big bucks to say that widow's not op and you know they should like buff tracer i'm right here i'll do it i'm right here i would Anyways. i would starve in the street before i say Widowmaker <laughs> is a good hero for overwatch all right i don't care it'll be my dying breath for all i care i hate that hero she's so bad for overwatch but anyway um, perhaps a topic for another time. Uh, so my, my take on it is that a lot of these people are getting frustrated with the game and there's a lot of ego that comes into play against content creators because they think that a lot of these creators are just bad because of the way they talk about the game or they think they don't understand the game when in reality, a lot of them are just kind of being pushed into saying yeah, certain things, you know? That, like that Widowmaker change that I, I just on the fly was like, yeah, it's great for the game because Widow's a fascinating hero to watch. So healthy, right? A lot of creators get pushed into that hole without them actually thinking it, right? And that's just mm -hmm. how it is. If you want to be a part of, you know, certain benefits that Blizzard gives its creators, okay, I have to. But if you want to be part of certain benefits, then you have to understand that you are expected to uphold a certain level of professionalism as far as talking about the game. And it's yeah. why there are some creators who are very big and also very vocal that don't get access to those same benefits, all right? Yeah. Because they are honest with their community. And I think that there is a... I, I think that no matter where you fall, at the end of the day, you can't really be that upset with the creators no, you, about it. you can't blame them there's mm -hmm. no way they're just they're just chasing the bag like exactly just, you just can't exactly and and you just have to accept that as it comes but it, you also have to accept that if a creator is able to get consistently in top 500 right they're probably not that bad at the game you know what i mean and that's that's a major disconnect with a lot that's what kind of what i was going into where a lot of competitive players dislike creators so they just sort of are more prone to assuming they're bad or being like i can't believe he said that there's no way he's top 500 right and stuff like that and that ends up creating mm -hmm. a massive rift and ends up creating a lot of tension between the creative side and the uh the competitive side of the game yeah is, is that I what you, you is there anything else that i was missing that that comes to mind about me mentioning it um well, this kind of all started because last week we were talking about the tournament, the Mercy tournament that Skiesti put on mm -hmm. so lovingly, mm -hmm. and it went really well, but a streamer team ended up winning and everybody was losing their minds like, oh my gosh, how could these streamers win? Um, and yeah, so I, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think content creators are not as bad as people think. I think maybe there are some exceptions of some extremely silly, silly players out there that do make it big on the content creation uh scale but yeah i i definitely agree uh content creators hold a lot of weight within the community their words and i definitely think you know having very strong opinions uh you know one way or another is going to get you it's going to get you some uh some feedback good or bad absolutely, <laughs> absolutely yeah um 
in any case that is uh our time for the day uh so we're, we're gonna wrap up here and we'll we'll cover uh more next week <laughs> nice you, you had to zone in there you kind of went the yeah, wrong way yeah. I, don't, I don't know where my camera is it's, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back she flipped her camera so now she's like oh oh but uh anyway it was it was a great time thank you guys for joining us again for our second week of over talk i hope you all uh had a great time and I'll, i'm looking forward to seeing you all again next week okay mondays at 3 p.m uh follow aramori ow on twitter as you can see right below her head and follow my twitter if you want to see hot takes and things that you probably don't care about because twitter is my my guilty pleasure platform but anyway bye everyone have a good one see you all next week bye see you next week everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.